Good morning. Glad to see you guys. Will you stand with me as we begin our time of worship? We're going to start here in Psalm 92. If you would read with me. It is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by night, to the music of the lute and the harp, to the melody of the lyre, for you, O Lord, have made me glad by your work at the hands at the works of your hands I sing for joy. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we come before you today uh, thankful for the work that you've done uh, for us. Uh, this is something that we could never do on our own. We could not come to you on our own righteousness because we didn't have any. You sent your son to this earth uh, to die for us. He lived a perfect life. He died a sinner's death on a cross so that we could come close to you. And Lord, we know three days later, after he went into that tomb, he rose again. So today, God, we sing of this victory over death and sin. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
morning, Cross family. You can have a seat. Uh, if we haven't had the pleasure to get to know each other yet, my name is Cole Forrest, and I'm the student minister here at Cross. Man, y'all, it's been a blast to get to dive in here at Buford and get to know some of you. And so as you came in this morning, I want to first just say, if you're a first-time guest with us, thank you so much for being here with us this morning. If you didn't get an opportunity to stop at the first-time guest tent on the way in, we would love it if you'd stop there on the way out because we have a gift for you, and we'd also love just to connect with you. Second thing this morning is that when you walked in, you saw a packet of things sitting on your seat. So I want to walk through those for just a moment. Uh, some of you guys, we've well, probably missed message notes. Well, guess what? They're back this week. Um, so I see some hands going up. Y'all are excited about that. Um, if you don't have a journal, y'all, this is a great resource for you to be able to remember uh, what's being preached as we go through God's Word this morning. Uh, we remember things better when we write them down. So there's message notes. The second thing, you should have had a next steps card as soon as you came in. This is the main way that we communicate with you week in and week out. And so there's two things I really want to highlight from this. Uh, on the back side, you'll see a prayer request box. Y'all, our team, our, our prayer team and our staff come together each week in order that we might be able to pray for what's going on in the life of our church. What is going on in your life? What's going on in our lives? We care about you, and we want to know what's going on. So if you want to fill that out and drop that in the, the tower on the way out, uh, we would love for you to do that. The second thing on here I want to highlight is community groups. Community groups is the main way that you can get connected here at Cross. If you're not plugged into a group, y'all, this week there will be groups gathered across Buford in order that we might study God's word together, pray together, and fellowship with one another. So if you're not connected to a group, I want to encourage you to fill this out, drop this in the tower, stop by Next Steps on the way out, y'all. We would love to see you connect to a community group. And the third thing I want to highlight is our giving envelope. So some of you may have missed this, right? We've been giving online for such a long time now. Uh, but you have the opportunity today, if you want to write a check, whatever it may be, to give here in person. And so there's going to be the tower on your way out this morning that you'll be able to drop those in as well. I don't want to throw away uh, or shy away from our, the fact that we have so many people that are worshiping with us online this morning. And so if you're worshiping with us online, all of these things that we just talked about are linked to the Facebook and Vimeo page uh, if you're watching on either one of those platforms. But we are excited that you guys are here to worship with us this morning. If you'll stand, we're going to read uh, this morning as Brandon Brock comes to lead us in our Elder Scripture reading. Good morning. If you got a copy of God's Word, you can open it up and uh, read along with me out loud. It's, uh, we'll be in Acts 2, verses 37 through 39. If not, the Word should be on the screen behind me here. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promises for you and for your children and for all those who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for this word. I thank you for this promise, God, that, uh, Lord, just, just your Holy Spirit and that promise, Lord, that, that uh, if we repent and be baptized, Lord, that, that uh, Lord, just, just that you come live within us, God, and give us the power of your Holy Spirit. Father, we thank you for that. I pray that your words would cut us today, just like he says here, as the brothers that were cut to the heart. Father, I pray that you would uh, let us be transformed today by the word that's spoken in, in your name today. Amen. We were waiting 
Amen. Let's praise him, church. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. So, Father, we bring ourselves now to your word. Will you open up our hearts? Will you open up our minds? Will you, in this moment, blot out every lesser thing that would keep us from seeing you, that would keep us from hearing you? We ask now, Holy Spirit, will you illuminate our hearts and minds to see what we cannot, because of our sin, see? and to understand what we cannot because of the work of the enemy understand. We give our undivided attention to you, Father, and would this message, this good news of the gospel, once again, fall fresh on our hearts. Father, we would be a people who fall in love with you all over again because of what we see and what we discover today in your word. So, Father, sanctify us in the truth of your word. Would you, Lord, use me, Father, speak through me. Hide me behind the shadow of your cross, Lord. Will you edify your church and glorify your name? We ask all these things in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. And everyone said, amen, amen. Well, you can go ahead and have a seat. And as you're finding your seats this morning, I'm going to invite you to turn with me in your Bible to uh, Acts chapter 2. We're going to be in verses 1 through 41 this morning. And uh, if you're here with us today for the very first time, last week we kicked off a new message series from Acts 2 called Devoted. And uh, we were joined last week by Zach Nelson and Nate Aiken from the Pillar Network. This is a a church planting partnership that we have. And so we hope you enjoyed uh, getting to know Zach and Nate last week, getting to hear about the ministry of Pillar, because we'll hear a lot more about that in the weeks and months ahead. And we saw last week, as Nate led us out in verses 42 through 47, the five devotions of the early church. We saw that they were devoted uh, to the gospel. We saw that they were devoted to the Bible. They were devoted to prayer. They were devoted to the church. And they were devoted to multiplication. And the reason why uh, we're spending so much time looking at this one chapter of the Bible, we're going to go uh, work backwards this week to verses 1 through 41, and then for the next few weeks go back to verses 42 through 47. The reason we want to spend so much time in this one chapter of Scripture is because this is our earliest snapshot of what the church of Jesus Christ looked like. And as challenging as 2020 has been, one of the the good things about crisis is that it always brings about clarity. And what uh, the last several months has afforded us to do as staff and as elders, as a congregation, what we want to continue doing as we go into the fall is to simply look at God's word together, especially here in Acts chapter 2, see what it is that he intends and desires for his church, and then just to very honestly ask the question, do we look like this? Are, are we living out, are we embodying what it is that Jesus Christ desires for his church? So uh, last week we looked a lot, again, at just the outworking of the early church, verses 42 through 47. And, and so like I'm a big Star Wars fan, you know, they did episode four, five, six first. Today's like we're going to go back and do one, two, and three. Let's hope it's better than episode one, right? Star Wars fans, we don't want to repeat that. Uh, but we are going to dive into God's word here and just see today in one snapshot the birth of the church from verses one through 41. So Uh, On January 22nd, 2017, we held the very first public worship gathering of Cross Community Church at Buford High School. And uh, it was an incredible day. Um, 
Cross Community, the, the first conversation about it happened actually two years before in January 2015, and then by the summer of 2015, it had been decided upon uh, that there would be a new church plant in Buford about a year and a half later, and then it was announced later that fall. By the end of 2015, we started having interest meetings for those who might be interested in joining our launch team. I'm just curious, is there anybody in the room this morning who was in that very first meeting? Oh, yep, the Tobins in the very back of the room were part of that original uh, launch team. have been here really just since our, our earliest days, then all of 2016. What we did is uh, about, it started out a group of about 25, 30 adults. We met a couple times a month and we would just come together and we would uh, pray together. We would study God's word together. We launched several community groups that year that were meeting behind the scenes all throughout Buford, even before we were having uh, public worship gatherings. And uh, we were just doing our best to look at scripture together, look at this picture, especially in Acts 2, and just say, hey, do we look like this? How can we look like this? How is it that we can live out the truths that we see demonstrated for us here in Scripture? So, so there's so much work. I mean, two years worth of, of, of praying and of fasting, literal blood, sweat, and tears, so much energy and effort and training uh, that went into those first uh, two years leading up to that first day in January. And there's, there's three main things that really stand out to me about that first Sunday that we had together in 2017. First thing I remember is that it was absolutely pouring rain and I had never seen so much lightning in my life. I mean, we woke up that Sunday morning. Those of you who may have showed up that first worship service, you remember. I mean, it was a torrential downpour. And it's lightning unlike I've ever seen before and, and I've not even seen since. Even some of the bad thunderstorms that we, we've had uh, since that point in time. We're talking about lightning bolts, like big ones, every like five, six seconds all over the sky. And of course, half the stuff we have to move into the building is made out of metal. So like, hey, load-in team, good luck. You know, like, hope you survive today. And so we, we, we had that going on. And then those of you who ever joined us at the high school, you know, when it rained. It didn't, it didn't really drain very well at the entrance of the high school, so it's like walking in through two inches of water. Our whole welcome team was out there in full rain gear. I mean, like pants, jackets, ponchos. They had umbrellas. They were escorting people into the building, and, and we were all soaked to the bone by the time we finally got in there. Watched them escort about 350 people in through the pouring rain. Uh, someone came up to me after the service and patted me on the back. I was like, man, you're sweating a lot. I was like, nope, that's rain still from like three hours before. And, and that's what I remember about day one is it was pouring rain and there was lightning. Second thing I remember is that about 10 minutes into my sermon, my mic went out for a few minutes. And, and as, as best as I can remember, I, I think there's, this has only happened maybe like once or twice since it's, of course, like our very first time coming together. And we, we knew that was a possibility because of all the weather and everything that day. So I'm pretty loud. You know, it's, it's a good room for that. So I just, just kind of had to talk loud for about 10 minutes. And uh, in spite of all that, the third thing that I remember the most that sticks out to me is that on this particular day, uh, following our worship gathering, we saw three people profess faith in Jesus Christ. And, and it was... After that moment, just all the work that had been poured into this, the two years of tireless energy and effort that we had poured into getting to this one day, we knew in that moment that it was worth it. We knew that it was worth it. Again, some of you were a part of that. Some of you were there from the very beginning. Some of you joined us just a short time later uh, in, in 2017. And, and so you got to be there really to witness the birth of a congregation, the, the birth of a church, and it was excitement. I'm sure everybody who was there that day would have a different perspective about different things that they saw. And so there's so much energy, so much expectation, so much excitement and anticipation even of the unknown that went into that day. But imagine being present not just for the birth of a church, but for the birth of the church. Imagine being there in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago, 
When Jesus Christ has come, he's lived, he's died, he's risen again, he's ascended into heaven, he's given his disciples this mission to preach the gospel, make disciples, and Peter stands up on the day of Pentecost and he opens God's word and he begins to share about the message of salvation in Jesus Christ, and in one fell swoop, 3,000 people are saved. Imagine being present for a moment like this. And so for, for two years as a church, what we did behind the scenes is we talked a lot about foundation. Well, the vision we tried to cast for those who joined that launch team who were going to be a couple, do a couple years of, of work leading up to that very first worship service, we tried to cast this vision of foundation because, again, everybody wants to have a big, beautiful house, right? Everybody wants to be a big, beautiful church, but if you don't have the foundation that's in place to support a structure, no matter what you build, ultimately it's going to collapse. And here's the thing about foundation work. Foundation work is unseen, Foundation work is messy, and it's really unglamorous, but if we commit to laying a strong foundation, in our context, the foundation of the gospel of Jesus Christ, we can be confident upon that, that Jesus is going to build his church. So last week, we talked a lot about just some of the basics of what the early church looked like. Today, we're going to look at the foundation. Last week is framing. This week is foundation. So Matthew 16, that this work of foundation went way before we get to the book of Acts. Matthew 16, verses 13 through 15, Jesus says, it says, Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And this is how Jesus responded to him. Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, or Simon, son of John. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The foundation of the church is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus was laying that foundation long before Acts 2. And so today what we're going to do is we're going to go beneath the surface of what we saw last week and what we're going to see for the next few weeks, and we're going to look at the foundation. Here's the central truth that I want us to see here from Acts chapter 2, is that God pours out supernatural awakening through the Spirit-filled prayers of His people and the Spirit-filled preaching of the gospel. This is the means by which God pours out revival and awakening of his church. Now, there's a, an important disclaimer I need to lay here at the very beginning that we need to understand. We'll talk about it a little bit more towards the end. It is not our praying and it's not our effort that coerces God or twists God's arm into bringing revival and awakening. And yet, if you study the scriptures and you go back and you look at church history, you quickly find that God has never brought about revival and awakening without the prayers and preaching of the gospel. And so as we devote ourselves to these things, as we devote ourselves to this work through the power of the Holy Spirit, we do this and we plead and we trust that God can once again do in our midst today just what he did in Acts chapter 2. And so this is the work that we want to commit ourselves to. Through the prayers of God's people, the power of the Holy Spirit, and the preaching of the gospel, the church of Jesus Christ was raised to life. And through the prayers of God's people, the power of the Holy Spirit, and the preaching of the gospel, the church of Jesus Christ can be revived today. So let's read from Acts chapter 2. We're going to look at just verse 1 here for a moment. It says, When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. So we see first from this passage this morning that the church was born through the prayers of God's people. Church was born through the prayers of God's people. Verse 1 tells us that the day of Pentecost had 
arrive. Now, uh, if you're not familiar, Pentecost was the second annual feast of the Jewish calendar following Passover, and it commemorated how God had delivered his people from the bondage of slavery in Egypt. That's found in the book of Exodus. And on the day of Passover, God's people took the blood of a lamb, they covered the doorpost of their homes, and then the tenth and final plague of the nation of Egypt, which was the death angel, passed over the homes of those whose doors were covered by the blood of the lamb. The firstborn sons of the nation of Egypt were put to death, and this finally forced Pharaoh's hand, and he allowed God's people to walk free. So Pentecost, which is also known in Scripture as the Feast of Weeks, came 50 days after Passover. On the first day of Pentecost, the nation of Israel received God's law through Moses, and they were told that once they entered the promised land, they were supposed to keep a feast that would bring their first fruits as an offering to the Lord, which symbolized both their hope for a full harvest and their gratitude for God's provision. And at Passover, God's people celebrated salvation, but at Pentecost, it was more a celebration of God's provision. Not just that God would save his people and deliver them, but God ultimately would be with them, be present with them, and continually sustain and provide for them. So the day of Pentecost arrives in verse 1, and it says they were together in one place. If you go back to Acts chapter 1, we find that what they were doing while they were together was pray. That is what they did. They prayed. Judas was gone at this point. So Acts 1 tells us that the 11 remaining disciples went to Jerusalem. And Acts 1.14 says, All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer, together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. Now this, this word devoted, which we've used as the, the title of this message series, our devoting, it means that they were persevering and giving constant attention. They were persevering and giving constant attention here in Acts 1.14 to prayer. This is what they had constantly devoted themselves. Now, this is in stark contrast to the last time we saw the 11 disciples gathered together praying. The last time we saw this picture was back in the Garden of Gethsemane. This is the night before Jesus goes to the cross, and Jesus is praying, and he's agonizing so much about what's about to happen in prayer. He's praying so intensely. He's experiencing such stress that he begins to sweat drops of blood. And what are his disciples doing in that moment? They're sleeping. So this is a very, very different picture than what we saw just several weeks before when they were gathered together in the Garden of Gethsemane. And what was the difference this time? The difference this time was not only had they seen Jesus Christ be given up as a sacrifice for their sins, they had seen that that same man had walked out of the grave. And not only had he walked out of the grave, he forgave them for leaving him. Nate spoke on this a little bit last week. Jesus comes out and the first thing he says is, go get my brothers. He extends forgiveness. He restores Peter. And so this is a very, very different group of disciples. They have seen and they've witnessed and they've experienced something that they cannot unsee. So they gather together. Acts 1 says it's about 120 of them all together. And they pray and they pray and they pray and they pray. Prayer is the most important work of the church and it's the highest calling for every follower of Jesus Christ. A.W. Tozer has said that the church that is not jealously protected by the mighty intercession and sacrificial labors will before long become the abode of every evil bird and the hiding place for unsuspected corruption. The creeping wilderness will soon take over that church that trusts in its own strength and forgets to watch and pray. It's the greatest work we can commit ourselves to. A prayerless church is a powerless church. Many of you may remember, it feels like a decade ago, but it was actually just back in January when we had our very first Sunday of the year. We spent the morning in Psalm chapter 126, and we emphasized the verse from Psalm 126 that says, those who sow in tears will reap in shouts of joy. 
And we talked about for this year committing ourselves to this work of prayer, pleading that God would revive and awaken his church. And, and I'd shared with our elder team more towards the end of last year. This is purely anecdotal, but this was just my personal experience. I shared with our elder team, I said, man, I feel like I'm seeing more churches than ever before at my lifetime rallying their people to pray. That this is my personal experience as different circles of pastors that I'm in, different things that I saw online, different things that I was hearing through pastors that I, I like to listen to frequently. And I just felt like over and over and over again, I was hearing this call in 2020 for the church to return to pray. So I have to believe that it's a little bit more than a coincidence that in the same year that so many churches have rallied together to pray, the enemy has hit us with obstacles unlike anything we've ever seen. I have to believe that's more than coincidence because when we don't pray, we work, but when we do pray, God works. And and the enemy's threatened when the Lord begins to work, and he works most powerfully through our prayer. Listen, God works all the time, but when we're in prayer, that's what's making sure we stay focused on him, that we're accomplishing his will and his plan and his purposes. So over the last several weeks, by the grace of God, we've been able to, to begin rallying back together as a church. This isn't possible in a lot of different contexts, even in our community or around the country. And so what we wanted to make a priority is once again returning to that posture of corporate prayer. So we're going to write it down Saturday, August 29th. So uh, two weeks from yesterday, we're going to be right here Saturday evening. Um, and we're going to come together, Lord willing, for a few hours to do what we were doing back in January before all this got started, uh, which is to come together consistently as a body of believers simply for the purpose of prayer. At the end of the gospel accounts, Jesus gives his disciples the great commission. The commission was to make disciples of all nations. And so that they get to Jerusalem, they begin to pray. And Jesus gives them a commission that's so much bigger than themselves. But as he ascends to heaven, he doesn't just tell his guys, hey guys, go get to work. That's not the instruction he gives them. Go back to Acts 1 verses 4 and 5. It says, and while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to do this, but to wait. He doesn't just say as he's ascended to heaven, hey, go get busy. You've got to reach the whole globe with the gospel. Now get after it. He doesn't tell them that. He tells them to wait. For like, goodness sake, Peter, don't try to do this on your own. You will mess it up. We've seen Peter try to do stuff on his own before. He says, wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So the plan to preach the gospel and make disciples had been bookended in the Great Commission with the promise of Jesus that he would be with them always, but he doesn't tell them just to get to work. He tells them to wait, and here's what happens because they waited on the power of the Holy Spirit. This is Acts 2. Let's read verses 2 through 13 together. It says, And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear? Each of us in his own native language, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judah and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia and Phrygia and Pamphylia and Egypt and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others mocking said, 
they are filled with new wine. So the church was born through the prayers of God's people. Second, the church was born through the power of the Holy Spirit. So this is a long passage today. We're going to be looking still through verses uh, 14 through, through 41 here in just a moment. So we're going to have to do a really quick summary, and you can discuss this more in depth in community groups, hopefully as you meet throughout the course of the week. But if you go to 1 Kings 19, we see supernatural demonstrations of both wind and fire as indicators of the presence of God when he appeared to, uh, to Elijah. So um, as they sat in the house, Scripture says there was a sound like a mighty rushing wind. Now, uh, it's been debated whether it was an actual wind or if it was just a sound like the wind, but in either case, uh, the sound filled the room, and it was a sound from heaven to show us that this was a direct direct outpouring of the power of God. And then it says that divided tongues as of fire appeared on each one of them. So in the same way that we see that there was a sound like the wind, we see that there were tongues as of fire. And this is the attempt of Luke, who's writing the book of Acts, to describe as best as he possibly can the supernatural phenomenon that was taking place here in chapter 2. And what took place is that the Holy Spirit was poured out upon them, and they were beginning to speak in other tongues or other languages. They're gathered together, they're praying, and as they're praying, there's this sound that fills the room, and then they miraculously receive the ability to speak in other languages. Now, we don't have time to do the deep dive into this today, but this is an important point of clarity for us that we need to understand because this uh, subject of speaking in tongues is very confusing. Uh, it can be very widely debated even within the church today. We need to make sure we understand what's happening here specifically in chapter 2. The, the Greek here is glossa, meaning languages. So, so these were intelligible languages. This was not uh, an ecstatic, unintelligible speech, what uh, many believe Paul is referring to when he says tongues of angels in 1 Corinthians 13. That's not what's happening here. What's happening here is that this specific group of people has received in this moment the supernatural ability to speak in other languages for the express purposes of preaching the gospel. This is a time where scripture says everyone was gathered from every nation under heaven, and Jesus had given them this commission to take the gospel to all nations. And so as they're sitting there praying, they receive this supernatural ability, and they begin to preach the gospel. Verse 6 says that those listening were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. Verse 11, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. So it's clear that these were intelligible human language. And this is an important clarification because in the 20th and 21st century, there's been some really unhealthy excesses that have been, that have been proposed, that have been preached when it comes to the gifts of the Holy Spirit. That there are many different pockets of the church today where there's this very unhealthy obsession with, with signs and with miracles and uh, with wonders. And so even though we have plenty of instances in the New Testament, namely the end of this chapter where we see 3,000 people who don't speak in tongues, there still continue to be many who even preach a false gospel today that says that you're not truly saved if you don't speak in tongues. But that's not the case. We are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, and that faith is not substantiated by any specific work. It's through the work of Jesus and so we, we see this over and over and over again in the New Testament, that the primary reason we've received the gift of the Spirit is not to speak in tongues. The primary reason we've received the gift of the Spirit is to preach the gospel. And it just so happens to be that in this particular context, they receive a supernatural ability to declare the gospel for all who were gathered from all nations. This is a lot of what Jesus Christ endured during his ministry. People were, were so obsessed with the miracles that they missed the message. And it continues to happen in the church today. We'll chase supernatural, ecstatic experiences, emotional experiences. And this is what crowds would do with Jesus. They would run after him so they could be healed of a sickness, so that they could be healed of an infirmity, so they could be healed of a disease. But the moment Jesus opened up his mouth, 
and said to them, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me, what did they do? They ran away. They wanted the miracles, but they weren't interested in the message. But Jesus did not come primarily to perform miracles. He came to preach a message. The purpose of the miracles was to affirm the message. But there's now this global obsession with pursuing power for the sake of power. But God's word shows us that Christ has given this power so that we will preach the gospel. This is what we find in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, right before Jesus ascends into heaven. He says, but you will receive power. Everybody say that word power. Power. Greek there is dunamis. It's the same word that we use for dynamite. He says, you will receive dynamite. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Why do we receive power? We receive power to be witnesses. This is why we've received this power. We receive power for the express purpose of preaching the gospel. We don't have power and we don't have gifts for the sake of the gifts. We have power and we have gifts for the sake of the preaching of the gospel. God doesn't just pour out his power on us so that we can say we have power. And we shouldn't be establishing different classes of people within the church. You have, some say they have this power and some say they have more power. And you're not quite on my level if you don't have this power. That's not what we see. We've been given the same Holy Spirit. This is the same power that raised Christ from the dead. There's not, like Christ, there's not like classes of JV Christians and varsity Christians. Like we have all received the power of the Holy Spirit that's risen Jesus Christ from the grave. And sadly, I just feel that the modern church here in the West knows very little of this power. We try to manufacture the power. We try to create the illusion of this power. Churches will spend millions of dollars on technical production in an attempt to manufacture spiritual experiences. We pay professional musicians who will perform and worship for us while we passively engage. Create the illusion of spiritual maturity by having a calendar full of church programs. Today, more than ever, man, we have podcasts, we have conferences, we have video apps that allow us to access the best preaching anywhere at any time. So that's kind of made church attendance optional. We, we see just that churches will argue and divide over aesthetic design of their places of worship. And now more than ever in our context, we have preaching, we have production, we have programs, we have places of worship. But what we are lacking is power. We're lacking power. It was Jim Elliott, the Christian missionary and martyr who lost his life for the sake of the gospel, wrote once in one of his journals, Forgive me for being so ordinary while claiming to know so extraordinary a God. What captivated those listening in Acts chapter 2 was not just that they were hearing other languages. What captivated them is that they were hearing in their own language the mighty works of God. Church, the greatest evangelistic tool we have is the preaching of the gospel in the native tongue of the hearer. If you are a follower of Jesus who's received the gift of his Holy Spirit and you have this word, you have everything you need to share the gospel. He's equipped you with everything that you need. Miracles and wonders are going to pass away, but the word of God endures forever, and it transcends all that divides us. It supersedes, and it's bigger than everything that sets us all apart. The primary evidence of a true believer is not that we speak in other tongues. The primary evidence of a true believer is that we use the tongue we have to share the gospel. That's what God has given this for. This is what Peter does here. I mean, just, just think about what's happening here in Acts chapter 2. That This is the same Peter. Exact same Peter who just like seven weeks before, little servant girl comes up to him. Hey, do you know Jesus? And he freaks out, denies knowing him three times. No idea who he is. 
The same Peter who just a short time before had told Jesus, I'll follow you to the death, Lord. Nothing's ever going to take that away. What's he do? Like the very first sign of opposition, he's like, not me. Not it. I don't know a Peter. That's not me. Same Peter, seven weeks and a day later, what's he doing? He stands up in the midst of many of the same people responsible for putting Jesus to death. He watched what happened to Jesus. He knew what the risk was involved here. And the same Peter stands up on the day of Pentecost and he boldly preaches the gospel. This is one of the greatest evidences for the authenticity of Christianity. Because every other, so many other religious movements in, in history, you look at them and all it takes is for the leader to disappear and then the whole movement dies. Not the Christian church. Something changed. Something happened in those seven weeks. They saw things they could not unsee. And they received a boldness that they'd never had. And Peter stands up in Acts 2 and it begins to preach the gospel. So here, here's what I want to do for the next several minutes because our time is, is short here together this morning. I'm going to read these 27 verses. It's a longer passage, uh, but I want to take my time, and I want us to truly hear what Peter says. This is the very first sermon that is ever preached in the Christian church. The very first sermon. So again, I just want you as best as possible, put yourself back in that place. Put yourself in this moment. You're going to be in the crowd that for the very first time is going to hear from the church of Jesus Christ the good news of who he is. And this is what Peter does in Acts 2. We'll read together verses 14 through 41. It says, But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose. I've always appreciated that the first sermon started out with Peter saying, Promise we're not drunk. These men are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. It's nine o'clock in the morning. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. So he just opens the scripture. He says, In the last days it shall be, God declares, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood. Before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And then he just points it back to Jesus. He says, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst as you yourselves know. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades or to hell or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Then once again, he points it to Jesus. He says, brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried. And his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with him an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on the throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ. That he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. 
being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this day that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now watch this. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. It said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? It's so simple. Peter said to them, repent. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who heard his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. This is God's word. Can you imagine this picture? That was a busy day for the church. Because it doesn't just say that people responded to the gospel, that they were baptized that day. It was just an all-day event of, of just new life in Jesus Christ being celebrated all over this community where just several weeks before, Jesus, they thought, had been put to death. And suddenly there's this new movement that's exploded in his name. So the church is born through the prayers of God's people, through the power of the Holy Spirit, and third, through the preaching of the gospel. And our, our time together is, is short today, so we're not going to be able to break down every nuance of these 27 verses. That's what community groups are for, uh, so I encourage you to, to get connected there. So I just want to focus on a few key points, because what Peter actually does here is he provides the church for all time the template for how we should preach the gospel, and it's so simple. It's so simple. It's nine in the morning. He stands up, and what's the first thing he do? He does. He leads with the scripture. He starts with the scripture. He makes sure they know that they're not drunk, right? Like, hey, we're here, five o'clock somewhere, not here, nine in the morning. So he leads with the scripture, just starts with the words of the prophet Joel. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And then he expounds on that text. He says, this salvation can be found in Jesus Christ. And then he quotes from the Psalms. You have made known to me the paths of life. And then he expounds on that text. He says, David, our hero who wrote this, he's dead, but Jesus Christ is alive. And then again, he quotes Psalm 110, and he expounds on that text. And then all hearing the word, they fall under conviction, and Peter extends that simple invitation, repent and be baptized. That's it. Three points. Peter's a good Baptist preacher from back in the day. Three simple points leading with the scripture. That there's, there's no long, drawn-out story. There's no props. There's no video clips. There's no lights and smoke and sound needed. It's the simple preaching of the gospel. It's, what, it's, it's so basic what he says. He quotes the scripture, and he says, here's what it says. Here's what it means. Here's how it points us to Jesus Christ. Here's what you do in response. Let's go to lunch. Like that's, that's how simple it is for us. So, so listen, let me save you the, the, the trouble of having to go get a seminary degree. Like That's how you preach the gospel. Like when we, we give people opportunity to preach here, we're raising up others to preach the gospel, like that's basically how we're evaluating them. What's the scripture say? What does it mean? How does it point us to Jesus Christ? What do we do in response? What's the application? How do we live this out? And then within that framework, Peter gives us really the four movements of the gospel. Four basic movements of the gospel we see are God, man, Christ, and response. 
We see all four of these played out in this one text. So he points to God, verses 15 through 21. He says, here's what he has spoken and revealed in his word through the prophet Joel. And then verse 23, he speaks of man and our sinful condition. He says, you crucified and killed Jesus by the hands of lawless men. And then he points to Jesus Christ multiple times. He says he was crucified, but he rose from the grave, which loosed the pangs of death so that we can be free from sin and experience the fullness of joy. And then he pushes towards a response. He doesn't have to coerce it. He doesn't have to manipulate it. The band doesn't have to magically appear on stage and play the mood music. They're just cut to the heart. And what happens? What do we do? And Peter gives the invitation, repent. Turn from your sin. Put your faith in Jesus Christ. Call on his name and everyone who calls on his name will be saved. And then be baptized. You'll receive the power of his Holy Spirit. It's that simple. It's that simple. As he shares it, he unpacks the gospel in those four distinct movements. And in one single moment, 3,000 people are saved. So let's parallel two moments. You know, within our church, when our church was born, we prepared for two years. I preached for 30 minutes, and three people came to know Christ. When the church was born, they prepared for less than two weeks. Peter preached for three minutes, and 3,000 came to know Christ. Church was born in the prayers of God's people through the preaching of the gospel under the power of the Holy Spirit. And if I'm, I'm just being honest, I look back at so much of my life and wonder, I look back at a lot of our church even, and I wonder and say, Lord, how much are we actually doing in your strength and power versus ours? How much are we really submitting ourselves to the power that you've made available to us through the Holy Spirit. So again, we, we want to come back to this for just a moment. We need to understand our praying and our preaching does not coerce God. We can't twist his arm into revival. And yet throughout history, the Lord has never brought revival and true spiritual awakening through a people who do not pray and preach the gospel. We have to remain centered on these things. Church, understand politics are not the gospel. Social justice is not the gospel. Equality is not the gospel. Religious freedom is not the gospel. The sanctity of human life is not the gospel. All of these things are absolutely impacted by the gospel. All of them should be shaped by the gospel, but none of them can serve as an adequate replacement because only the gospel is the gospel. Only Jesus is Jesus, and only Jesus can save. And anything that replaces that message of Christ crucified, no matter how well-intentioned it is, ultimately leads to our destruction. If you go back to the very first Pentecost in, Acts chapter, or in Exodus chapter 32, it's a very different picture from what we see in Acts chapter 2. Go back to the very first Pentecost. Moses goes up the mountain to receive the law from the Lord. Moses is gone for like a minute, and when he comes back, they're worshiping a cow. Like it, it, it's just that quick that he's just gone for, for a short period of time to build a golden calf. They're worshiping it when he comes down. And as a result of their rebellion on that first day of Pentecost, 3,000 people died. 3,000. Israelites left Egypt on Passover, and 40 days later they arrived at Sinai, and then Moses goes up to a mountain to see God. Ten days later, Moses comes down with the Torah, and the Israelites receive the law. Now, Fast forward to the book of Acts. Jesus died on the Passover, and then he went up the mountain to see the Lord. He ascended from the Mount of Olives. And 10 days after Jesus ascended, the Holy Spirit came down, and 3,000 people were saved. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3, 6, that the law brings death, but the Spirit brings life. The law, as good as it was, was incapable to save 
the souls of men. But the power of the gospel rose up in this moment, and 3,000 people were saved. The reality is like the nation of Israel in Exodus 32 and the people in Acts 2, we have all chosen death. We've all chosen something less than God. I mean, even today, many professing Christians who choose a quasi-gospel or an almost gospel that puts ourselves at the center. But church, we have to understand, Jesus did not promise to build our church around our preferences. He only promised to build his church around his preferences, with the gospel being the foundation of it all. And when I go back uh, four years, um, a few months before we had that first launch day service, we were uh, spent uh, an afternoon one day up at Buford High School, and I was with uh, Grayson, who's our worship pastor, Leandra, who's over our kids' ministry, and we were walking through the building, and we were meeting with someone that day who was helping us see what equipment and things that we needed to be able to effectively hold services there week in and week out. And um, so everybody else had drifted in different parts of the building. I was by myself just in the, the auditorium there where we met for a couple years. And, and I remember just one of those very surreal moments just a few months before um, we were going to have our first worship service in there. And it's the, fr- the first time it really hit me in that moment, like, we're really doing this. And my second feeling was like, I am out of my mind. I just remember standing in, in, in that room, just by myself for a little while, and just praying, like, Lord, I feel so ill-equipped for this. I feel so not ready for this. But I believe your word. I believe the message of the gospel. I believe you've called us to do this. I just want to be faithful to what it is you've given us to do. And I made a covenant with the Lord in that day. I promised him. I said, no games and no gimmicks. Your gospel is enough or it's not. And I can tell you about four years since that day, I can confidently tell you this morning, church, it's enough. It's enough. It is enough to build his church. It's enough to be the foundation that carries us through hurricane evacuations and global pandemics and people falling into sin and our own sin and our own mistakes. It's enough to build his church. What Christ used to bring his church to life then can raise his church to life now through the prayers of his people, through the power of his Holy Spirit, and through the preaching of the message of the gospel. He will continue to build his church and the gates of hell will not overcome. So what I want to do here for just a moment as we close, just for for one minute here. Nate did such a great job of this last week, but I want want to just stand on this again this morning because I don't want to assume anything about any person in this room. The gospel is our good news. And it walks through these four movements of who is God and who is man and who is Jesus Christ and what's our response. And God's word tells us that there is a creator God. He is holy and he is just and he is righteous. And he's created us in his image to be in relationship with him. But our sin through both birth and participation separates us from God. It fractures that relationship with God. We turn our back against God. But God, because he is good, because he's loving, because he's gracious, because he's merciful, He doesn't just leave us in our sinful condition. He doesn't just resign us to die. We're not good people who need to get better. We're dead people apart from Jesus Christ who need to be made alive. And God, who is rich in mercy, Ephesians said, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together through Christ, who came to earth as fully God and fully man to live the perfect life we could never live, to die the death that we deserve, to rise again from the grave, ascend to be at the right hand of the Father, and all who by faith turn from their sins and call on his name for salvation will be saved. And then the relationship is restored. And God fills you with his Holy Spirit. He gives you a new mind. And he gives you a new heart. And he gives you new desires. And he calls you to participate in this mission of making this good news known to every man, woman, and child and every tribe, tongue, and nation until he returns or calls us home. And he gives you a joy that cannot be robbed by anything else in this world. 
And the invitation for you today is the very invitation that was given by Peter 2,000 years ago. Repent. Turn from your sins. You will receive the power of God's Holy Spirit and be baptized. And publicly declare your faith in Jesus Christ. So will you just bow your heads with me here for a moment as we close this morning? Very short prayer just to close out our time. Is that you today? Is the Lord calling you to repent, to turn from your sin, to be baptized? To believe in this message that has been preached as good news for 2,000 years? The message that serves as the bedrock foundation of the church? That invitation is for you today. Repent of your sin. Turn from your sin. Agree with God that you have sinned. Call on his name and be saved. And then a few weeks, September 20th, we'll have an opportunity for you to be baptized. We'll have a class before then where we can sit down with you and we can explain what all of that means. If that's you this morning, we, we put this card on your seat. Tell that to us. Let us know that today you've put your faith in Jesus Christ, that you want to be baptized. Let us come alongside you and encourage you and walk with you and help you understand what it is that the Lord's calling you to do. To welcome you into the fellowship of the church. And maybe for many of us this morning, what we need to do is just return to the simplicity of that good news. So Father, forgive us when we turn from the basic foundation of who you are into so many lesser things. Father, open up our hearts and minds to hear this good news again today. To follow you wherever it is you lead and wherever it is you call us to go. Father, for those who today may be contemplating what it means to follow you, I pray that they would hear your voice and follow and know that it's worth it. Father, we come around them and love them and encourage them, support them, celebrate with them the new life in Jesus Christ. So Father, be glorified now as we sing, as we worship, as we go today. Empower us by your spirit to be people who pray and who preach this good news through the power of your Holy Spirit so that the same power that was on display when your church was born can once again be on display in a church in this nation that's coming back to life. We believe this in faith, Lord, that you can do this. And we ask this in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. And everyone said, amen, amen. Let's stand together and sing as we close things out this morning. Let's sing how great the chasm, how great the chasm that lay between
good to sing the good news, amen? That's good. Well, listen, uh, you know, unfortunately, the third service now, we, we've got a very quick turnaround time. Um, so what we need to happen here in just a moment is uh, we'll clear this room, and we're going to ask you to go out this back corner door over here. Um, best that you not walk through the drape unless you want the whole wall to fall down, okay? So uh, be careful of that. Just go around the back corner. Now, listen, outside is set up the Next Steps table where we've got an opportunity for you to sign up for ministry teams. It's something we've talked about a lot the last couple weeks. Connect with our staff. Our challenge is for every person calling Cross Community home uh, to serve somewhere. And feel free to linger outside as long as you want to, but we do have to be able to get the next group uh, that's in here this morning uh, that's probably outside about to come in through the door. So, um, so thank you so much much for being here with us this morning. If you've completed uh, Next Steps cards, giving envelopes, those towers, the boxes for those are in the back corner here as you leave this morning. Love to meet you outside, connect with your family, and glad to have you here today. Hope to see you back um, next week. So let's say together, church family, our banner verse from Psalm 45, 17, and then we'll sing together as we close. I will cause your name to be remembered in all generations. Therefore, nations will praise you forever and ever. Amen. Let's sing. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Thank you.